0: Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Forest Educator Podcast. This is a forest spotlight and it is in line or in the same vein as our forest Entrepreneur Series, because it's talking about messaging, and it's also a topic that directly, how do I say this, like it directly influences or is a primary ingredient in how we describe what we do and communicate the value of what we do to people who are interested in maybe taking one of our programs or signing one of their kids up for a preschool or kindergarten or a summer camp or whatever it is. This is really all about those types of messaging and how we understand them. And we're going to be talking about what I call the problem with intangible results, because in a lot of cases, that is what we do. Right there, this isn't universally true. If you're someone that is a nature educator and your primary thing is to say, I am going to help you prepare acorn flour, acorns for being edible, leaching out the tannins and making them really good, and then baking the flour, making it crispy or whatever, and then making pancakes or muffins or whatever you're going to do, that's awesome. And those are pretty tangible results. And if you're going to make bows and arrows or you're going to weave a basket. So you're probably not in the same boat as some of us where we are doing the nature and wilderness experiences that are leading towards the intangible results. So it's a little bit more focused on the human development side of things versus the getting a physical product at the end of it. But either way, we still do have, as a a general rule, people who do nature-based education or learning experiences, we have a, a messaging problem because many of the things we do are intangible or hard to describe and or they're tricky. They disappear before our eyes, right? They vanish like gossamer threads or something. The early morning mist in the light of the dawn, dawning sun, where the warmth of the sun dispels that cooler air, boom, your mist is gone. Your fog is gone. And this, whatever you were thinking it was, is just disappearing. So the more you chase it, the more it becomes harder to pin down. And actually, when I was writing about this prior taking my notes, I was thinking a lot about how Like a cat will chase a little laser pointer and it doesn't matter how hard they chase it. There's nothing to grab, right? It's just light. But they can see it and they can, they're going to go after it because it's like an instinctive thing to go after something moving, but they're never going to get it. And so that's one of the problems that we have as educators is to say, how do we pin these down and how do we describe it? How do we understand it? so that we can help people understand the value of what it is we're putting together, what product are we actually offering to individuals who wanna come and be part of what we do. Thinking about intangibles, it helps sometimes to think about why we got into these wilderness experiences, nature-based approaches, working in this field in whatever capacity you are because most of the time the reason that we got into it is somewhat intangible or if we thought we were going to learn this but we actually got something else from it right so you might think oh I really want to learn about wild edible foods so I went and took a few classes with someone and we were out there and we're gathering and everything and on the surface of it you can say a lot of things about it. You can go. You spent how much money to gather a quart of blackberries? Like you can just buy them at the store. You don't need to spend eighty dollars to go out for a day with someone and get. You can buy a lot of blueberries or whatever with that amount of money. So why would you go and do all that? And on a physical level, on a tangible results level, they're correct. They're right. However, on an intangible level. The experience of being out and walking along the riverbank and like reaching up for those juicy blackberries and picking our way carefully through the thorns or then going and making a digging stick and digging up some burdock roots or whatever it is that you might be uh, foraging, there's a feeling that happens when you're foraging. There's a an experience of, hey, I'm actually walking out with five other people or seven other people or ten other people. And we're all going out to gather things like our ancestors have done for 100,000 years. And we can feel something that happens. And we can feel the camaraderie and the joy that comes from being in a small community of people who are wanting to learn and who share our values and who appreciate the momentary pause as we watch a great blue heron glide over our heads and land over up by the edge of the river. Like we're able to understand it better if we can understand ourselves. So when you think of that, that is intangible. And yet in a way it's not because we're understanding more about what is it that actually drives us? What are the deep kind of forces that move us to want to both go and study and learn about these things, but then also be able to provide that and offer that to other people. So if I were to make a worksheet about this, I would just really dig into what is it that you loved about nature to begin with and really get in touch with that. And at the same time, also think if you're an educator, what is it that makes you excited now. It's r- probably not that everyone makes sure that they get four tablespoons of cattail shoots <laughs> stir-fried in a in an omelet or whatever. Like, it's probably not that. Like, when you think of it like that, when we think of the direct tangible results, it, it, it really weakens the experience. I remember a woman one time, this is a sad story, but I remember... This girl came to one of our programs and I'm not exactly sure how she got into our program because this, and this is a long time ago. This is probably, I want to say 20 years ago, but she was in our camp and she was here for seven days and at the end of the camp, and she came from a, what do I want to say? How do I say it in the right way? She came from a family that had a lot of rough edges, right? They were working class, very... Her types of jokes tended to be a little bit on the side of laughing at other people or being a little bit more rude, someone might say, and she just wasn't really quite aware of the impact that she had around other people. I think often there were things that were going on inside of her that just needed to come out, and if you happened to be nearby, that would be what it is. And we would just hold this uh, young woman in our best heart and just continue to talk about what she's doing and share all the good things she was learning and just being really proud of her because we knew that she was really out of her element that she was not used to being in a in an element and an element or an experience how do i say this she was not used to being in a community of people who were really supportive of her and could see her and could see some of her gifts and i could tell that it made her uncomfortable because for some people, they might go, oh, if I could just be in that, then it would be perfect. And I would just love every minute of it. And to some degree, maybe we will. Maybe we do have that experience. But I will also say that when you are suddenly uh, in an environment that you're not used to, it can be very uncomfortable psychologically or emotionally. And it has a big impact. Because you don't really know how to process it, and there's a you know, not a lot of trust of are you even are you messing with me? Are you saying something that's true right now? Or are you just trying to manipulate me? whatever whatever that might be? So this young woman was there, and she was learning how to carve, and she worked hard she worked on a spoon that was, I think, made out of cedar. I have a pretty good memory about a lot of this stuff because sometimes I'm helping them a little bit. And so she worked on this Colburn spoon, and she had never carved. And every day she would work on it. And I could tell she was trying to finish this before the camp was over. And I asked her, like, are you going to be able to work on this when you get home? And she's like, no, my my family wouldn't let me have a knife. They wouldn't let me carve. That'll be out of the question. So I got to do it now. And so I didn't really help her carve on it because I really wanted it to all be from her. And I asked her, do you want me to take off a lot of wood here or there? And she was like, no, I'm okay. She had at least five different blisters. Her hands were not used to carving. And she was, you know how when you're first starting out uh, doing wood carving, you either take too much off or you don't take quite enough. And you don't really have an understanding of like how to get surfaces really smooth. And you don't quite know how to get it. So it really resembles something that's a really beautiful craft. You're just like banging around in it. And my first spoons were like that. A lot of my wood carving, if I think back to some of my early, my first like 20 bows and arrows that I made when I was young, with nobody teaching me, they were essentially just hand-carved firewood. This is what she was at. So she got her spoon down to where she felt pretty good about it, and it actually looked pretty good, and she started sanding it. She sanded it down. She oiled it a little bit. She like made sure she cleaned out all the coal-burned parts of it, and she had this really nice little little spoon that was something that you could use if you were camping and get something to work here. And I remember her parents came and her dad was getting her stuff and she ran over to her mom and went, wait, wait, I've got to show you my spoon I made. I carved this myself. And she showed her mom the spoon and I was standing right there. And her mom like looked at me and then she looked at the spoon And then she looked at her daughter and then she looked at me again and I could tell she was doing this for my benefit. Ha, look, I'm going to make a joke here. And she just went, is that, what is this? And she said, it's my spoon I made. I carved it. And then she was like, we paid X number of dollars for you to make this. This is the best you have. Like she just made it as a joke. But as she did that, I could just see this young woman, like her self-esteem and, I could just see this cloud go over her and she got really sad. And I said, yeah. I said, this is her first spoon. She's never carved before. This is actually really excellent. And her mother then was like, well, that's a lot of money to pay for a spoon. (laughs) And clearly she did not not understand that this is a process. Obviously, if you had to pay a teacher's salary in kindergarten for (laughs) the entire Year And you go, oh, okay. Yeah. My daughter uh, or my son learned how to put their shoes away in their cubby and learn their ABCs. And you could turn around and argue and go, what? I paid $70,000 for a teacher to, to be able to have my kid put their shoes away. If you reduce it down to that, then absolutely. Heck, we're obviously most of life isn't really worth it, right? It's not really worth all that. But because we're not paying those salary of the teacher because it's paid for the by the community we don't usually have that reaction to teachers doing their thing but when it comes to a camp or something that's what's happening and i knew that i think their grandparents had paid for her daughter to go so i knew that it didn't even come out of her pocket but she just made this like really reductive kind of a joke about it and it it stayed with me it still stays with me today so i'm This young woman is probably married and has kids and they're maybe thinking about going to college. So this is a long time ago. And so hopefully she's done well and is doing great. And that's my hope for her. But it, it helped me to understand that there are some people that really get what we do. And then there are some people that don't really understand the value. And I don't even know if they'll understand the value for those people even if you spell it out very clearly because when you're in kind of a reductive mode a a direct tangible this I pay my money this is what I get you have a hard time penetrating there's a mindset there I don't want to say like it's a poverty mindset it's not I don't think it's necessarily related to that but it might be but there's a understanding that when someone is trying to justify you know spending the money or investing or whatever, they want to see results. They want to know what is tangible. What are you going to do? So for many times those types of folks, they want to know where are, are my kids sleeping in this like cabin. Is it really nice? Are you guys doing like field trips out into to a local fair? Or are you taking them to waterfalls? Or are, are oh the, they're looking for these little like perks that are going to make them feel good about the amount of money they're spending. So they're like, oh, are you going to have steak and lobster every night? Because, ooh, that'd be cool. Like, in, in other words, they're looking for that validation on a physical level. And that is what makes them motivated to feel good. And they believe that if I just had this. So that sometimes you'll see someone, they're like, hey, I just bought this, like, huge truck for 60 grand. You're like, oh, okay. And now you'll be happy. And that's the theory. And then it's, hey, we're all going to Disneyland. It's going to cost us 12 grand or something. So all these things that they're going to spend money, they're going to do it, but that maybe doesn't quite still get them there. And at the same time, there's a reluctance to then embrace the other sides of life, the intangibles, and really understand that. So that's what we're looking at here with these intangible results is that we're trying to figure out. Who are we talking to to invite them or to help them see the value of what we do and help to penetrate that if we're able to? And I want to just talk about the intangible results for a minute of what we might offer in a lot of our programs and whether or not you're in a basket making program or wild foods or a survival skills camp for kids or you're going out and doing dog sledding, really wonderful program where you're just getting out there and embracing winter with a bunch of people taking them out on ice fishing or whatever like those are all really cool things but the the intangible parts of these are things like learning you know uh, elements of leadership not like studying it no one's going to be up there going like all right you're going to have to let's all do our leadership practice now leadership comes from learning about decision making and Learning how to be part of a community and learning how to problem solve and learning how to have confidence in our own decisions and beliefs and intuition, so to speak, and following our gut and delayed gratification. Creativity is a huge piece that is important to develop for us at any age, to just be able to think creatively, think out of the box. And to solve the situations that we're dealing with, whether it's like relationships or money or how to handle people at our work that maybe we're not getting along. There's just so many things that we have in our day-to-day life that are intangible. And these are things that we actually can cover in our programs because we're giving them opportunities to encounter themselves in new ways. and understand understand more about how the world works how we work and what how what is that interface like and when it comes to younger students there's a big piece that I like to think of that's an intangible which is having the the light be restored behind their eyes right like that their eyes have this light this joy of seeing the world as a beautiful like magical place and seeing that we have a place in it and that we understand what we're doing when we're out there, like they they can understand how it works, and they haven't maybe lost hope or faith about it. <laughs> at, at least not yet. And doing that work, all of these things are by their nature not easy to pin down. Like when I think of trying to make intangibles tangible, there's this idea in my mind that is. Oh, if, if we had the ability to like peer into the brain of our students and we could actually see levels, it'd be interesting to go, oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, this person has a, whoa, their self-esteem is a two and their leadership is a zero. And then their, their passion for learning is a one. And like, you could look and go, okay, yeah. Like we see what we have to do here. And then you have somebody else and you go, oh, look, their leadership and confidence is like sky high and they're creativity is medium and if you could look at all that you could be like oh okay i see what's happening now that would make it easy especially for like young new people coming into the field because you could then really get a picture of what are these children or students whoever they are what adults whatever you could look at that and go oh okay yeah here's what i'm going to put together something to support them to help them to help them go from a 2 to a 4 or a 1 to a 3 or whatever and you never know like sometimes you get this quantum leap and like everybody in the group just suddenly goes boom and they're up at they went from a 2 to an 8 and you you can see that is not really intangible because everyone in the group can feel that however when you try to describe it it will disappear because it just sounds ridiculous or weird or something. Most people don't get it if they haven't actually been out there at the bottom of the Grand Canyon after a river rafting trip and see just how everyone is completely different. So if you've never been there, you're not going to get it. You're just going to go, what? You paid this much for the trip to just go down the river? Wow, that's a lot of money. They're just going to translate it back to that really physical one dimensional i would say or two dimensional version of what what they think life is or how it's working and that's okay it's really okay just so you know i'm not thinking of oh there's some people that get it some people don't and that's bad that's not a binary choice and it's not good or bad it's just where people are at and when we look at these different intangibles one of the problems we have is that when we go to talk about what we do and share it when we send, when we talk about the benefits of being here, being in our program, the results that people get or whatever, there's a tendency to want to say, I only want to share what I know they will get. At that point, you're trying to figure out how do I communicate that and if I'm going to communicate that, I want to make sure it's true. So if it's, so if it's true, then I can really feel like I can put, put the stake in the ground and go, I will deliver this. And that makes a lot of sense because it's much easier to describe those things and know that you can be certain and that you're sure and that you have that confidence. Everything is going to be deliverable. You wouldn't ever have to be at risk of saying, you told me that we were going to become leaders and have leadership skills. And now where's my leadership skills or something? And you go, hey, you were your kid was in a two-day program. Come on. And but you don't want no one wants to have that conversation with someone, right? No one wants that. And and rightfully so because you don't want to promise something that you feel like you can't deliver. And so therefore we shy away from that. And then when we do talk about some of the intangibles, it's oftentimes missing the conviction or the, we don't really dig into those. We like toss them on top, like a little bit of green onions on top of your, on top of your pumpkin curry soup or something. You're just like, oh, here's a little sprinkle. This might be good. Or you might like that or whatever. And so it's a problem because you're, in a situation where the bulk of the value of what you're doing, and it's clearly not in a hand-carved cedar Colburn spoon, that's clearly not going to be the, that's not going to be the horse you're going to ride out on, you know, in terms of your advertising and so forth. But if you're reluctant to even talk about that, except in a, sideways afterthought throwing that out there kind of way it makes it much harder for people to really know what are you guys doing and what is the value and to be honest they're right there's no real other way around it is to say if you're not even willing to really talk about and champion what you're doing then why would they believe you and so it creates this little tiny mismatch inside of you that people can sense. And when people sense that, not, and it's in your social media, it's in your, on your website, it's in how you describe your stuff, it's in your conversations, like it it makes it much harder. And what's happening is that you're trying to appease the people who don't get it, right? And so you're in a way sacrificing the opportunity to really crow about it or be excited about it because you're wanting to make sure that even a person who doesn't really quite get what you're doing isn't going to then be upset or disillusioned and then go, what? I paid $900 for a piece of wood that looks like it's been hacked by a beaver. That is not a smart marketing move. You don't really want to be trying to market what we do to communicate that to reach potential clients. If you're aiming at someone who's not really even your target demographic, I hope that I should probably rewind that and say that again. You don't want to aim or develop your marketing messaging to consist mostly of people that don't understand it when they're not even people that are typically your clients. That usually just comes because you're not really quite understanding what, what this approach is. What is it that is going on? There's a psychological thing. And again, that mismatch then sabotages us what we do in terms of how we do what we do. And it also confuses people who do get what we do because they're like, hey, this is awesome what you're doing. Why are you not screaming about this from the rooftops? This is incredible. So, it creates a mismatch on all sides. And I can guarantee you, for the most part, there are people who don't fully understand what we do. And the way to invite them in is to do something very different than trying to focus on the tangible. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the reason I'm talking about this is that everything revolves around how we control our own narrative. And when our inner lack of confidence and our inner confusion and our inner reluctance to embrace (laughs) these intangibles exists, it effectively hamstrings us. And it doesn't hamstring us entirely because the people that get it, I'll be honest, there are not that many programs. I know a lot of people now are going like, what, Ricardo? There's 700 or 900 nature schools now in the United States, and look at how many are in the UK and in Europe, and this is incredible. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, but I will also say that when, if you look at how many students are being taught this kind of nature-based approach, it is less than one-tenth of 1% of the number of children in the United States, right? There's something like 68 million children in the U.S. right now that are school-aged and 68 million and we are not there yet. We're still a blip, we're still a tiny blip on that, on this. And so we are not reaching everyone we could reach and that's one. And number two, I will say for a lot of programs, if you are partially full, if you're full, if you're like, Hey, our capacity is 25 children and you have 18 kids, you, that 18 is awesome. But if you really need that 23 or 24, 25 children, the difference between 18 and 25 Is really the difference between you being able to pay for an unexpected car repair, or it's your ability to take your family on vacation, or it's about, oh, my kid needs braces or any number of other things. I'm not even getting into like your 401k or anything else, but it makes a huge difference if you're just even enough in, in enough of a mismatch with your messaging that you're not able to quite fill your program now you are in what i call the decline you're in a slow decline of financial resources and energy and time if you have that ex- those extra kids for every program you run you could then turn around and go hey you know what i actually make enough money i could pay someone to mow my lawn so i could actually spend that time with my kids while with my own kids while they're young and take them on a hike and go to the wa- a waterfall if you don't have that if you have 15 children you're mowing your own lawn. You're cutting all your own firewood. You're going to do all the other things, which, which are, honestly, I like mowing the lawn. I like chopping firewood. I like doing those things. But they do impact your family, the choices we make, situations we do find ourselves in. The, the less options and the less freedom that we have to make choices can really catch up to you over time. And it is definitely stressful on our health. And when we feel stressed, that impacts our family and relationships as well. and impacts your staff. All of those things are there. So I'm just going to say, this is a serious thing. This is not me just going, oh, Rick, just it doesn't have anything else to talk about. So blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm coming up with these weird podcast episodes that are crazy. This is really important. So what we want to do is try to avoid that mismatch. And how do we do that? How do we talk about these intangibles in a way that we can then feel like confident that this is what we do and we don't have to necessarily prove that we deliver them, but that we're making steps forward And feeling good about our marketing and feeling good about who we're targeting as or targeting such a wrong word, I think, but who we're inviting or being open to serving. Because in in an ideal world, you want you you really want to make your program feel really good to people who really love what you do. For those of you that are directors or instructors or whatever, how do we talk about these things? And I'm gonna say that the secret thing that I figured out over a while ago is that when you're thinking about what you do and those the intangibles you are delivering or building or starting to develop there's a value to seeing your work like construction right like for me it's easy for me to say hey I'm a timber framer here's a picture of timber frames I've done if you want me to make a timber frame like these Here's, I can deliver that. And then people can come to my class on timber framing and we can say, Hey, look, it will be built. Hey, here's, I could, somebody could hire me. Those are all super tangible and it's, they, you can just take a bunch of photos of what I've done and boom, that's going to be the thing that will get people to like maybe join you or hire you to work on their timber frame. But there's another side when you're dealing with intangibles, which is a little bit more like being a fishing guide or a hunting guide. And when you go to a guide, the guide will say, oh, I'm going to, you're going to stay at this cabin. I'm going to help you out. These are the types of animals that we've gone fishing or hunting. And they're not guaranteeing that you're going to get a bear or that you're going to catch a record-breaking salmon or whatever it is. But they're going to tell you, we're going to get you really close to it. Our entire intent is going to be able to get you at the right spot in the river with the right hand tied fly or salmon eggs or whatever the right apparatus tackle you need and we're going to put you right there at the right time of the day during the right moment of the season <laughs> to get these salmon swimming up the river or steelhead or whatever. And so we're going to show you how to cast out there and you're going to have the right equipment and gear and you're going to be as close as you can get to be able to then catch these fish does that mean you will yeah i don't know you might not catch them you might hook into something and they might break the line you might fish all day and i'm still going to get my 250 dollars for being the guide or 300 bucks or whatever it is but they're going to get you as close as you can and the reality is that nobody else is going to say hey i'm going to help you get there you're not going to be able to get there on your own especially if you don't know that much about fishing that particular river or hunting a certain piece of land or whatever. And so we have to see what we do as more along the lines of being the guide and not like the timber framer or the contractor. A contractor wouldn't do too much good if they were like, hey, we're going to get these, we're going to pile a bunch of wood on on your building site and we're going to hope that (laughs) it all works out and is a timber frame. And it might not, and you might pay $60,000 and there might be holes in your roof and it might collapse in a snowstorm. But we tried hard. Like, that. it won't work for that (laughs) because that's just a different animal. It's a completely different thing. This is like apples and pomegranates or whatever, right? If you're thinking about it more like a guide, what I'm trying to get here is to say that If someone has an idea of, oh, I want to put my kid in a summer camp, and one of them is just, hey, we take people on field trips, we go to amusement parks, kids get to play video games, and we have all the Hot Pockets they could ever eat, and there's Pop-Tarts, and we give them candy, and we do anything we can to make them happy. Whatever they think they want to be happy, we're going to give it to them. And whatever sounds good. Hey, having a rock climbing wall sounds good. Hey, let's put a rock climbing wall up. Hey, should we, should we have a big tubing thing or slide in our, at our big pond or whatever? Hey, let's get this big, giant inflatable thing and kids can run around on that. Now, I'm not picking on any of those things. Those are probably all fun things. They might have paintball. They might have a ton of things that cost money. I remember seeing these like bows and arrows with like foam tipped on them. And they would, people would play those like paintball, but it would be bows and arrows. When I looked to say, Hey, could I bring that to my camp? I was like, this is going to be incredibly expensive and pretty sure we'd lose all the arrows in 10 minutes. And I don't know if I could train everybody to do it without having them get into stealth mode or whatever, and then have all the equipment disappear. And so I was like, that kind of competition isn't what we're building. So if you look at that kind of program and then you look at ours, for our camp, what we were doing was we were saying we are going to build for them a relationship to the natural world, which means we're going to do certain crafts and gathering and we're going to do uh, learning about trees and we're going to go on hikes and we're going to go tracking and we're going to do some things that are a little bit more on the internal side. We're going to be learning stuff and feeling things and we're going to be planting a lot of seeds. So we're going to be telling a lot of stories and it's going to be more along the lines of how our ancestors lived for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. It's not going to be just like fun for the sake of fun. Hey, you guys don't seem like you're having a great time. How about some ice cream? Like this, that kind of thing. Now, Again, I'm exaggerating this. There's lots of good programs. So if you run, if you're in one of those programs and you're like, hey, he's being mean, I'm not trying to. I'm just mostly saying this for illustration. So the idea here is that we're going to be planting seeds in our students and within our program entirely with the intent of helping those students uncover their own abilities, whether it's creativity, problem solving, we're going to be putting them in the vicinity of saying, Hey, here's a challenge. Can you build a fire with a flame tall enough to burn through this rope to then drop the little bag that we have that will then give you the next challenge, which is flint and steel. So there's a bunch of flint and steel kits in there, and that will be what will go for our next challenge. And and maybe there'll be a bag of marshmallows in there too or something. I don't know. But the point is, can we help them work together? Can we help them come up with ideas? Can we help them not do it for them, but can we put a challenge there? Can we put a lesson there? Can we invite them to play a game that helps them get close to the ground? Can we help them be able to learn how to get along with each other and be positive with each other as they're building a shelter under stressful situations, deer flies are buzzing around your head and it's sweaty and you're getting dirty and you're on your hands and knees and gathering sticks and branches and everything like that's a completely different experience than going to an amusement park with your friends. And so the intent behind what we do is really important. And if somebody came to me and said, hey, I've got my kid here and they can I can put them in this program, the more fun, follow your bliss, or my program, which is that I would just say, what do you want for your kid? Because this is what I do. I will take your kid and help them open up and uncover who they are, discover who they are under stressful situations (laughs) that help them be in a situation where they're able to make friends and have it not be an environment that's really chaotic and distracting and where they could actually build and form friendships that might last them their whole life. I'm going to be putting them in situations where they can work together and form cooperative teams, which I personally believe is one of the most critical skills that is going to help humanity pivot in the not-too-distant future, hopefully. And just learning how to become really sensitive to what's happening around us. So in other words, slowing way down, and being able to really sense, like, what's the mood of that bird in that bush 30 yards away? What are they doing? Are they, can we be sensitive enough to some of these things that will teach us an awareness that we will be able to pick up on later in life? So we'll be able to then sense well, there's something going on with my kid. There's something going on with my boss. There's something going on with whatever's going on in the traffic up ahead. Like, you'll be able to pick up these kind of patterns that are very, at a very subtle ability, which then gives you time to respond and have options in your response. Whereas if somebody goes like, yeah, I didn't really know that my relationship was in trouble until my wife was packed up and had suitcases outside and she was driving away in the car with the kids. And you go, huh, wow, you didn't really ever pick up on that. I wonder if maybe you're not quite tuned into some things, right? Obviously, if that has happened to any of you Believe me, I feel your pain. I'm sorry. And I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm just talking about, that's what the benefit of my program is. It's like, it goes deep and it's it's about building stuff for your kid's future. I don't really care if they would like to ride on a Ferris wheel or go on a roller coaster or play paintball or whatever. Now, can you get value in those things? Sure. Sure you can. And for some people you might, but in general for those programs, typically the people running them are not necessarily concerned about these other things that I'm talking about. And so I'm looking at this and going, I'm going to take your kid and I'm going to help them feel good about themselves. And that's primary. It's my primary mission. And my secondary mission is going to be about building them and Introducing them to the world of nature where they are going to have nature as a friend and as an ally and as a source of strength on, on all levels. When you're really struggling, nature will be there for you to support you and let you know nature. You're not alone. The trees, the birds, the animals, whatever is going to be there for you. When you have nothing else, nature will be there for you. And that is like an incredible gift because if you don't have nature, man, that's a scary place to be. I'm going to try to put and help you see that building a shelter so that you can stay warm and dry at night is, is very hard work and that you get what you put in and that it's okay to work hard. And when you do work hard, it feels good. So I'm going to try to break down whatever idea you have. If you're a kid coming to me, I'm going to say, if you think that working hard is bad and getting out of work is good, you're in the wrong program (laughs) because I'm going to, and I'm not going to shame you for that. I know lots of people, most people don't want to do work if they don't have to. But I can say that there is a joy that comes from being able to take care of yourself and to take care of your business and to feel your strength. Not just physical strength, but your inner strength, your mental strength, right? Your metal, mental, I don't want to say toughness, it sounds so, I don't know, whatever, patriarchal or masculine. I don't, want, I don't want it to be like that. There's a level of pride that we can have inside of ourselves when we go, hey, I did this thing. I made a fire with a bow and drill and I worked my butt off for that. And you can't take that away from someone right? You can't take that away from someone. And if they do that with bow drill and they do that with tracking and they do that with bows and arrows and they do that with being able to become invisible if they want to on the side of the trail by slipping in and doing their thing. If you do that seven, eight, 12 times, that fundamentally changes you and changes how you deal and see life. And that's what I'm doing in my program. And I'm not going to guarantee that your kid will become a leader. I'm not going to guarantee. Who can guarantee that? No one. I'm going to do my best to go from a two to a five or two to an eight or whatever. I'm going to try to do everything. So I'm going to throw creative things, problem-solving things, challenges. I'm going to throw opportunities for just getting being connected as a community, telling stories around the fire songs, games, just being together and hearing the coyotes and seeing the stars come out. Like I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything I can to help those things happen. And I've been doing it for years and years. So I'm going to take away anything that isn't going to add to the recipe. We all know when you get something and you're like, Hey, I got this bread and it's like raisin bread. And you're like, oh, this raisin bread's really good. Oh, you got a little bit of cinnamon and you got a little bit of raisins and there's a little bit of brown sugar in there. Oh, okay. It's swirled. Hey, this tastes good. Then you all know that type of bread where they're like, hey, I'm going to put flaxseed in and I'm going to also load in hazelnuts and I'm going to load in dried mango and I'm going to put, don't get me wrong. I actually like fruit cake and stuff like that or fruit breads. I really like those things. But there, there's always someone where you go, hey, here's this recipe, and they went way too far. And they put in things that don't need to be in there, and they are just playing and having experimenting and doing the best they can. And that's what is normal. So you, it's normal to experiment. But I'm going to eliminate things that we don't need to where I can streamline this to be as good as I can. I'm going to plant those seeds. I'm going to be telling my best stories. I'm going to be giving them experiences that, that helped and shaped me or that have helped and shaped other people in the last 30 years. Now, obviously I've been doing this for a long time, so I can say those things, but even if you've only done them for five years or three years, it doesn't matter because it's the intent. Okay. And You can turn around and get trained by me or somebody else and get the training and get the recipe. So you're going to go, Hey, I'm following this recipe. This is my intent. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And guess what? Where else are you going to go? If those are your values, if you're in that group that says, I get it. I love nature. I want my kid to have these qualities and these intangibles then you're going to look for somebody who's doing that and wants to do it and that is what's going to help you to communicate that and this is really important because if somebody says hey I'm going to I'm going to follow a recipe I'm going to do these things and I'm going to look at your kid a certain way. I'm going to help your person. I'm going to help. I'm not talking just about children. You can go into nursing homes and help people and say, my intent is to help these people do this. You can go to nature-based therapy and go, hey, I'm going to help people struggling with depression and we're going to do this. Your intent really matters. It matters. And your understanding of the nuances of human development matters and your ability to then also keep them safe keep them emotionally safe and look out for them that all that matters so if we want to if we really distill this down your message is going to be really hinging on how much are you willing to stake on your passion and your commitment to what you're doing so you can actually share your interview Or whatever, where you're sharing about that so that they can understand that. And that is really important because you just need to find people that get it. And if they are really looking for this, they will instinctively start coming to you. And because they're going to say, hey, you know what? I'm on board. And they're not really going to care as much that you haven't been doing it for 30 years. Heck. Half the time, they're like, hey, I'm a parent. I've only been doing this parenting thing for five years. And so I want you to take my kid and put him in your forest kindergarten. And you're like, I've been doing this for six years. So I've been doing at least one more year longer than than you've been a parent. And so like the bar isn't me. It isn't, oh, I got to do it for 50 years. The bar is your intent. And I remember when a parent one time dropped a child off for me at my camp when I was young. I was 26 years old. I had super long hair. I was wearing, I don't know, I probably had a like muskrat skin bag on the over my shoulder and a bunch of stuff. And I remember this one parent drove up and he had a 13-year-old daughter. And he was like, hey, I'm looking for the director. And I'm like, yep, you're here. And I go, you're in the right place. And he goes, yeah, can you tell me where he is? And I'm like, it's me. I'm the director. And he was like, I don't know if I'm going to leave my 14-year-old daughter with you. And I was like, okay. And I didn't mind. And I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry if that's the case. But I, what I did was I just started talking to him. And I'm like, hey, where are you guys from? Oh, yeah, I got your registration. Hey, so you live in Maryland. And I just started talking about what they, what they, he was, where they were coming from. I asked him if they went camping or whatever. And I don't know, probably in 15 minutes, I just said, hey, just so you know, I'm 100% OK if you don't feel comfortable. That's 100% OK with me. But I said, hey, I've only been doing this for a few years with, with my own camp, but I have five years experience doing it at other summer camps. And my commitment is blah, blah, blah. And this is 100% what we're doing. We keep this super small so we can make this happen. We have incredible instructors. And so he saw other instructors coming in. He saw what they were doing. And he could actually, more importantly, he experienced what it was like being around me and my staff. and." At the end, he went. You know what? I'm gonna let you guys go. I saw him unloading her gear, and they were in. And I asked him at the end of the at the end of the program when he picked him up. I said, "Hey, by the way, I, you took off before I could ask. What made you change your mind?" And he said, "I just saw how you were with the, your people, and I saw that you were excited about what you did, and I saw that you guys." really seem to know your stuff. And he goes, and I want my daughter to be in that kind of environment. And it really touched me because I was like, wow, that, that's the commodity right there. It's not whether or not she comes back with a buckskin pouch or a bow or whatever. Like those are the incidentals. And those things are are awesome. And those things are will make our kids... <laughs> Really happy when they go look at this thing. We tanned this piece of leather and then we made this super soft. Feel how soft it is, Dad. And it's like a joy. And you're just so happy that you see the joy. You're you're not there trying to calculate how much money each stitch cost. You or some stupid thing like that because you're going like you know what? I'll pay twelve hundred dollars to have my kid have a chance at getting inspired for their life and for having them to get these benefits. And I will do whatever it takes to help that happen. And I'm going to just say too, that we're in a sad place in a way right now with nature education, because people are starting to wake up to the fact that this is really important. What we do is incredibly important from occupational therapy kind of way, which is about childhood development and developing their bodies and everything else to all these intangibles. People can get that. And unfortunately, We're also at a place where the majority of a lot of these wilderness and nature programs are self-funded, meaning that you have to have money to be able to do it. You have to have a grandparent that is willing to send your kids to summer camp, or you have to have a really good job. You have to be in that kind of upper echelon of income in America right now with whatever late stage capitalism or whatever you want to call it. So right now, it's sad because in a lot of cases, people are going to be in a position where they have to be able to afford what you're doing and for them to get these benefits. And that's where we're at. But we're also in a weird space because we're testing this model. We're testing a new model of education, and we're not quite at a place yet where it will translate to becoming a publicly funded experience that all kids will get. And right now, if someone wants to do this work, they have to be in that model because no one else is offering an opportunity for them to be able to do that and have them make a living. So you either get to do it when you're a college student and you can work for a few hundred bucks a a week and you can do that for two or three summers until you get a real job. But Most of the time, people are not in a place where we can afford that right now for the majority of people, you know, for those 65 million kids out there. And that's where we're at. It's a a reality right now. That's not where I want it to be. That's not where a ton of you want it to be. It actually hurts us as educators when we really embody these values and these principles and these intangibles. We know that they are every child's birthright. We know that they are everybody deserves to have these experiences kids, adults, everyone. However, nobody is paying us to design this new system. Nobody is paying us to do the research. No one is paying us to, to do interviews and surveys. No one is actually helping us to then make and bridge those gaps. And to do that work, no one can do that work and not get paid unless, I don't know, I don't. maybe, maybe some billionaire will go, hey, I'm going to do this work and I make enough money. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But for the most part, no one's actually doing it. Certainly not educators doing this work who are unbelievably underpaid for what we deliver and what we do. So right now, I'm just going to say, you're not really going to be able to serve everyone in this, in your program, unless you are able to be really good at writing grants or really good at either becoming a charter school or something where you will get that federal funding or state funding or local community funding, where you will be able to then provide that at no charge or very low charge so it's accessible. And <clears throat> that is a really big leap. That's a big leap that I think we're trying to get there, and I believe we will get there. In And-, and I just want to say, if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, my kids are never going to be able to get this because I don't make enough money. I just want you to know, I feel you. And I will say that the only way that you might be able to start doing this is if you can find like a homeschooling cooperative or some other way to do it. But if you wait for Ricardo Sierra or Erica Hermson or somebody else that's a leader in this, in, these, in this industry and saying, hey, I'll wait until then, your kid will be in college by the time that we get this put together. So you're going to have to take action. And for those of you that are working in this field and you're like, Hey, I don't like this model. I don't like it either, but I will say that we are still going to have to communicate these values, whether or not we're in a federally funded or state funded program, or whether we're self-funded in our own LLC or nonprofit or whatever, we're still going to have to develop the messaging for this. And every year we wait, it's going to get harder because every year more and more people are going to be growing up and having kids who don't have a fundamental understanding of why what these values are of these skills and of these experiences. So the longer we wait, the older people like me are getting, the older all of you are getting, and the more these new people are coming in, having kids who are growing up, never knowing, never knowing anything about the value or the gifts that are available to them. So right now, this is a critical point and that's what we're trying to do. I'm just going to say that the one piece that you can use to help people who maybe are in that two-dimensional idea where they're, oh, I pay this, I get this. If you're trying to reach those people and you're not sure what to do, Try using what I call mythic imagery, mythic language, because those people will say, yeah, I really want, like they're longing for something, but it's something they don't have words for. And a lot of times those people will go, hey, why did you buy that really big SUV? And they're like, oh, because I could see people driving around in the mountains and they could have, they're having all this fun and it's like incredibly beautiful. And so they work and understand that on an archetypal level, they are searching for something and they want to feel something inside. And so they think, oh, by buying that SUV, I'm going to get that. But if we can create our messaging to have more of a mythic impact where we're talking about universal themes of having the self-esteem to handle what's coming in the future, having the ability to um, be creative and knowing what kind of, of a risk that is for a child to try to make something new and to be creative and to be brave and to take the plunge on those things. These are real things and they, it is a battle to make those things happen. And it, and there is a, there is like these themes about how do we come back from a mistake we made or how do we, how do we, Get the courage to be brave enough to open up to other people in our culture today there's so many people who lack the passion or the they have just they have so much anxiety and fear about connecting to people i see it all the time online as that they go oh yeah i'd rather just stay home and i don't want to meet anybody i don't want to go out i don't want to do anything and it's i prefer to just sit at home with my cats and do my thing and i'm not making fun of that that sounds fun And heck, we do that every night. But the point is that it does take that, it does take bravery. It does take the ability to trust in yourself to be able to go out and connect with other people and know that you're going to be okay and to then have curiosity and all that. And all of those things don't happen unless you actually get some of these formative experiences in when you're younger. It really helps. So that mythic language, that mythic imagery, that can really help penetrate because it's nonverbal, okay? you're It's a nonverbal type thing, or if it is verbal, it's in a very fundamental, at a core human value kind of way. So that's the secret to reaching those folks. And if you're in a place where you're trying to work with the folks that really get the value of the intangibles... I say, you got to start talking about it and you got to really be direct about it. And it will help you get those extra people. <laughs> I believe that because it will let people know, oh my gosh, I'm in the right place. Oh my gosh, I've been feeling this for months. Like it will give them that sense of, oh my God, I'm so glad. I'm so happy I found you. I'm so, I feel so lucky that we are working with you. Because every one of you that's an educator out there, if you have these values, and you have these principles and you have these recipes, you are an incredibly valuable resource and people should be who get it. They should be coming up and going, oh my gosh, thank you for what you're doing. You're, you're changing the lives of kids in our community. You're changing families. You're, cha- you're giving these kids hope. You're giving a future. Like they should be coming up and going, hey, this is what's going on. I, oh I cannot believe how thankful I am for this experience. I'm not saying that we're doing it for vanity. Most of us are pretty humble and go, oh, that would make me really uncomfortable if people start saying that. And in fact, it really, it does. But that's okay. That's okay. The point is that we want to be able to believe in what we're doing enough to then say, I'm going to get over my fear of talking about these intangibles and I'm going to just, I'm just going to get over it and I'm going to start talking about it because that's the key. So, Anyway, good luck to you. Thank you for doing what you do. I hope you have a great rest of your day or evening or whatever you're doing. Good luck with these intangibles. Let me know, as always, what you thought of this. Send me an email. Catch me on social media. Leave a review. Please leave a review if you can. Get on Spotify. Spotify lets you actually review individual episodes. That's awesome. That would really help me. You can also go to Apple. Apple is like one of the ones that if you do get on Apple Podcasts and you can leave a review for the show, it actually gets forwarded to a lot of other players. And they will actually show those reviews on other players like Good Pods or whatever. Like they'll actually import those in with the podcast. And that really helps other people to find this and hopefully get some value from it. Thanks a lot for what you do again. Good luck. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my Forest Educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.